This podcast was produced by Hacker Noon, hosted by me, Amy Tom, and edited by Damien. Hello, welcome to the Hacker Noon podcast. This is Amy Tom. I hope everyone is so excited to be here. If you're not, listen. I don't know what to tell you. Turn this podcast off and listen to something else. But I think that you're going to have a great time today because my guests joining me today are Pavel from Webany, the CTO of Webany, and Richard, the full stack developer at Hacker Noon. So I am very excited to chat with you guys today. Pavel, how are you doing? Hey, everyone. Thanks, Amy. Doing well. Welcome back to the show. This is your second episode with us. Yeah, thrilled to be and here. And Richard's first podcast appearance. Richard, yeah. how are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I am so excited to have you guys on today. I want to talk to you about serverless CMS platforms. So as we discussed in one of our last episodes, a few episodes ago, Pavel is the CTO at Webany. And Pavel, would you mind giving us again a brief introduction to what Webany is? Yeah, sure. So uh, Webany is an open source framework for development of full stack applications, which run on serverless infrastructure. It serves for bootstrapping a project, deploying it to your cloud, and it makes it really easy to get started. So you don't need to be a serverless guru. Right. And one of the questions that I had right off the top of my head was, why would one want to host a serverless CMS as opposed to an on-prem CMS? So there are many points to this question and and answer. So uh, there are, of course, some some of that we covered in our last talk. So those who missed it, please have a listen. And we will just cover some of that here. Serverless is slowly starting to, actually, it's picking up the pace quite fast. Why? Because it reduces the amount of DevOps and uh, knowledge of infrastructure and how you set it up, how you maintain it. All you care is how you write your business logic, your application, right? I mean, some would argue that, well, there are still servers in the background, of course, but the point is that you don't need to manage them. There is a cloud provider who is taking care of operating system, of uh, scaling it for you, and it just provides you with a runtime which you use to run your application. Uh, and that's uh, one of the key reasons why someone would want to uh, start building their applications on top of serverless. One of the reasons why it's so attractive is uh, because, of course, to run your own data center and, and build your entire infrastructure and everything, you need highly qualified engineers and professionals who know what they're doing, right? Infrastructure is not simple. We used to run, so me and my co-founders, and we used to run a web agency and we used to, to do everything uh, from coding to infrastructure setup. And to be honest, we hated it. So the infrastructure can easily be like a full-time job and then some more. And then on top of that, you also need to develop your app, you know, satisfy your client requirements and stuff. So when serverless popped up, it was really a solution to all the problems for people who are not very infrastructure, you know, oriented. And it cut costs because any small company has a very limited budget. So hiring a DevOps engineer is expensive. If you just Google an average DevOps salary in in the US, you get around from $100,000 to $150,000 per year for one engineer. It's a lot. Not every startup or small company can, can afford having a team of DevOps, especially highly qualified with experience DevOps engineers in their company. So serverless provides a solution for that. 
you no longer need to build your data center. You no longer need to hire those expensive professionals. And the hiring is, of course, complex enough for all the roles in your company. But with DevOps, it's in a whole new level. Also, very often companies need to work on MVPs or proof of concepts, small applications where they don't need to, to over-engineer stuff. And every time you start building an MVP, before serverless was around, you had to immediately start thinking, okay, how do I run my code? So containers, right, back in the days, bare metal servers, installing operating systems yourself, it's horrible. So containers solved part of the problem, but serverless is eliminating the problem entirely. Small companies on tight budget can immediately develop uh, their software and run it. So it's like day one, run your software in the cloud. Right. Now, Richard, I feel, well, as the Hacker Noon podcast host and editor, I am very unfamiliar with any kind of infrastructure system that we have set up. But I feel like with a company that is the size of ours, we have about 25 employees at this point, that this would be something that would be beneficial because we're kind of more yeah. of a startup. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, when I first saw the, the title, like the implications of self-hosted serverless, I got to admit, I, I, I thought something was a little bit amiss. I, I was curious what it meant to be on like premise and serverless. That, that was kind of interesting. So because I think of on premise, like you have a server, you know, a physical server on hand that you're going to be loading uh, stuff up and provisioning or whatnot. So that was uh, one thing that popped out at me. But yeah, I mean, this uh, there's definitely an allure here because um, I am also not the greatest fan of dealing with our Google Cloud platform infrastructure stuff. But, uh, <laughs> so besides like writing software, we're trying to improve things for you know our users, but at the same time, we're managing a lot of the infrastructure. And uh, yeah, I, I wondered what it would take for someone to migrate to a system like this. So yeah, I definitely see the appeal of it. And I'm curious, you know, what kind of tools are there? Are there people that have migrated from existing systems? Or do you usually see people adopting WebNE uh, that it's like a green field? Yeah, so far, when you when we moved, a little bit of history. So when we moved from bare metal servers to, to containers, it was pretty much the same software. It was just virtualized. The operating system, everything was virtualized. And you could just copy and paste your code up there and it would work. With serverless, unfortunately, you have to write your app differently. So an option of copy-pasting is out of the window. You need to architect and, and rewrite your apps. But from uh, our experience with clients and companies that approach us, they are totally okay with that. So we don't see that as being a, a, a blocker for them. In fact, it also pushes them to upgrade their stack because sometimes mm -hmm. there is a bunch of legacy software which companies are afraid to you know to even try to modify because sure. don't touch it if it ain't broken if it works just mm -hmm. let it work but yeah. a change and a move to serverless forces you to rewrite you just don't have an option and in that case companies are very often relieved to hear that they just have to rewrite stuff and then they can get rid of legacy stuff and uh, maybe start using more popular and modern tools for uh, their APIs or whatnot. Gotcha. That sounds neat. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like how, how the community is building up and how long have you guys been uh, doing? I know it's been like a few years, like since uh, I saw, I was looking at the project, you'd like first, the first commit of your, your GitHub was pulling it all into one mono repo. 
I thought that was kind of interesting. I've had some discussions with uh, some of the colleagues here yeah. about mono repos and whatnot. I personally am a fan of keeping things uh, together if you can. Don't uh, make it more complicated if you don't need to, as far as a developer's perspective. So, yeah, I it's can respect project that. management <laughs> is definitely uh, a, a challenge. And we, yeah. we, we run on mono repos, and it's a never ending debate out there. <laughs> but you just have to use the tools that solve a problem. We try right. to, to be as much as possible, you know, objective about things and mm-hmm. just find the right tools to do, to do the work. If something works better in a monorepo, use that. If something is better as a separate repo, use that. But yeah, um, you just got to make a decision, basically. It doesn't always yeah. matter what you do. It just be consistent. <laughs> but with Webini, it solved a lot of problems. And that's how we set up uh, projects for Webini users. And uh, very often they discover monorepos when they first install Webini. It's like, wait a moment, this is kind of a, d- a different type of, of project organization. What is it? And then they go through our docs where we explain that stuff. And then it's like, oh, this is cool. You know, you can have all kinds of different parts of the system within one repository, which includes infrastructure and configurations for the entire um, AWS cloud, plus your code, plus your business logic, plus plugins and so on. So it is comfortable. That's interesting. So the uh, the infrastructure is all set up as code, right? It's just a declarative. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we are using yeah. Pulumi to, to declare all the configurations. Mm-hmm. And we like it because it's code. And as we right. use TypeScript for everything, Pulumi is uh, entirely JavaScript, okay, TypeScript compatible. And it gives us flexibility to do all kinds of stuff. We are not locked into YAML files and you know, weird configurations. Right. But that's also one of the up and coming tools. I mean, the tool is, is brilliant. There are lots mm-hmm. of huge companies using it and the, their company is growing really well. So they're not going anywhere. And people so far, we have a community of 800 developers already. And when they finally get their hands on Pulumi, because you don't need to touch it if you don't have to, right? Mm-hmm. But some of our users are already developing production projects, and then they are adding new configurations to, to the infrastructure. And every time we hear like, hey, this Pulumi stuff is great so, because it's code, right? And it's very right, readable. Right. You just go in, you read your code. Yeah, it's very transparent as to what's going on and you get all that revision history with it being in a repo. Sounds yeah. very alluring. Very neat. Richard, do you have any experience with Pulumi? I do not. No, I mean, I, I come from a background where we just had on-premise servers. We deployed like maybe three servers to a manufacturing plant's IT room or something, right? So that to me, on-premise is always like really on the ground floor there. So yeah, even just coming to Hack Canoe in a year ago, I'm getting up to speed on a lot of this cloud infrastructure. A world where content is king demands a solution that is able to deliver the scale and agility that businesses need. Webany Serverless CMS is a self-hosted, open-source, headless CMS that runs on top of the serverless infrastructure. And because of that serverless infrastructure, you only pay for what you use. So give it a try and see for yourself at webany.com. So, okay, if you were to start your own business, would you be hosting your CMS on-prem or serverless? I got to say, I'm still a little bit more comfortable being able to shell into a server and uh, figure things out that way. You know, like that, I think that's, it's a hard thing to shake. I don't know if it's just an old school thing, right? And I'm just, <laughs> I got the It's nice know, to stay in the comfort zone, right? <laughs> exactly, right? It's like, I love just being able to, it's okay. It's just a server. It's like, I got one of these and right now I'm, I'm using it to develop on. So it's, you know, it's just comfortable. It's like, it's cool. Like I can 
just go shell into something and see all the processes running very simply. I'm, I'm used to all those commands. So it would take some effort, but I, I imagine that once you get past it, there's a lot less things to worry about. So it seems like if you're trying to scale and you, there's a lot of people visiting your site, it, 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 you're going to have to figure out a way to not deal with all these other concerns and, and put in someone else's hands a little bit. But yeah, it sounds like it's a, it's a good collection of tooling. It looks like you guys are using AWS and I think it's Yeah, we are right currently now. focused on AWS. We are looking at other clouds and that's also the reason why Pulumi is uh, in our tool chain because they support all kinds of cloud providers. So we don't need to switch configuration types or anything. We just use the same tool to deploy to Azure or Google Cloud. Mm -hmm. So that, gotcha. that's in the future. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a safe bet, right? You choose Amazon to manage these things and looks like it was a good first step, right? So yeah, I imagine that's a, a good way to start a new project. So I, I think I would have to maybe grow a little bit and give it a try, but uh, it would yeah. be a learning experience for me. <laughs> from a non-developer standpoint, I from and from what I understand, it's the scalability that is the real like big one, because like we were talking about in the last episode, if you were going to have like, say, a Super Bowl commercial or you are planning a TechCrunch article, correct me if I'm wrong, Pavel, but that means that with uh, if you're on prem, you have to like, plan for the uh, increase of volume. But if you are serverless, it auto scales. Exactly that. Yeah. Mm hmm. And what else would you say, Pavel, to convince a young developer mind such as Richard's about the benefits of serverless platforms? So there is always a question of security, which is gaining more and more attention all the time. We hear about all these security breaches, right? Uh, we get uh, like a 10 new articles every month about how many data leaks happened and what companies lost a huge amount of user accounts and stuff like that. Of course, not everything will be solved by serverless and cloud in general. But uh, using serverless technology does solve some of those security issues. For example, you know, as you no longer have to install your operating system, right? And there is nothing to SSH into, as Richard mentioned. <laughs> there is just no IP address you, you have to attack, right? There is nothing, like there is nothing you, you can aim as an attacker. So the perimeter of the application slightly changes. It's no longer a, a single domain which you can hit or an IP address, which you know is an entry point into the system because Lambda functions, they just spawn and go. They spawn and go. They don't have an IP address to, for the outside world. So that's on the plus side and how applications get more secure just with that fact. Another fact is that uh, cloud providers run all these services which are battle tested. Obviously your app, is not going to be the first one which will run in the cloud. It's been years and these cloud providers have really established a, a good fundamentals and, and security policies and standards around how to secure your app. There are application firewalls which can handle bots, uh, which can spam your APIs. So you no longer have to worry about it. Of course, they come at some cost, but I think the cost of these security services will always be less than a scandal all over the internet that your company lost like 5 million user accounts. Right. Does this work with hybrid cloud too? Because I imagine just to play devil's advocate from the security yeah. standpoint that 
if you are storing sensitive information in a cloud that's not hosted or controlled by you, then that is a security implication as well. Yeah, that's the trust issue that we come, we come along that question often. And some people just don't want to use, let's say, AWS Cognito for user account storage. Then they opt in for services like Auth0 or Okta. But again, those companies have so many compliances and regulations that, I mean, of course, we can always say, oh, I still, I don't trust anyone, right? It's the easiest thing to say. But do you really trust your own database in your data center? How can you be sure? I mean, those companies are built over years and years and they have all the security professionals working for them. And then there is you, right? And you learn to spin up a, a server like two years ago. How sure can you be that the data yeah. is more secure in your own basement than it is in a professional cloud, you know, right. run by a huge cloud provider? So I think it's a debate and it's more like it's the same debate going on between NVIDIA and AMD or Intel and AMD or iPhone versus Android. I think it's more of a fan club issue. It's less of an actual security risk. Do you think that serverless systems are better suited for small businesses that wouldn't necessarily have uh, sensitive data that they are concerned about leaking? I think serverless is just a another product on top of a cloud, right? So security of the serverless itself is, uh, especially regarding the data, is not that much of a problem, especially because serverless uses functions as the main compute, and those functions are short-lived. They don't run long processes. So nobody can SSH in or gain, like no attacker can gain access to your function and then sit there for months reading your data, right? Because that function will shut down after the request ends. First of all, there is nothing to get into. And then even if we imagine there was a way, you couldn't run a, a long-term process which would collect your data. So on that front, functions are way more secure than running a server, which you have to monitor for weird processes and open ports and you know, do all that, all that stuff. That's for serverless part of it. And for user data and uh, business data in general, it will still live in some kind of database or an identity provider service like Cognito or Okta, uh, which again, I think we already covered why we should trust that more than our own server running in the basement. Right. And I guess if you wanted to have the most secure platform, you need to have your own server, have your own internal security team, invest a lot into various it's security tools. It's a huge investment. So it's uh, kind of almost like a trade-off of money versus security. How much money do you have to put into the project to create a quote-unquote secure database? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's very expensive and huge companies who really do have the requirement to run their own data centers, they invest huge amount of money on uh, penetration testing from uh, outside companies, right? Third-party companies that have nothing to do with them. And they pay them to hack their systems just to uncover the vulnerabilities. And that is expensive on its own. So it's not for small companies, definitely not for startups, not for freelancers. So I think this whole thing is particularly interesting to small companies and startups who, who just need to get off the ground as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And with regards to like, going back to scalability, I guess, as well, as they continue to grow and their maybe security requirements change, is there anything that 
can be done for that? Or what are your thoughts around growing companies and growing security needs? I can give you an example of one of the first companies that uh, really adopted serverless. That was Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And you know how huge that company is. And they yeah. saved 60% of their bill by moving stuff to serverless. So that's a proof that a serious uh, you know, corporation can trust serverless and cloud in general. And there are many other examples, but like Coca-Cola is huge, right? There, you don't need to explain how big that company is, how much money they spend on just the promotion. Now imagine how much money they were spending on technology that backs up all that machine, right? And they moved yeah. to serverless and were one of the first adopters uh, in the enterprise world. So I think it speaks for itself. I bet that migration process was wild. So hectic. I'm quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it did pay off. I mean, imagine saving 60% of Coca-Cola. Like it's how much is that, right? Those are insane numbers. But it it just it reduces the amount of effort and manpower you have to to have in your company to manage all that. It's insane. Yeah. And I guess from like an organizational standpoint as well, if companies are investing into WebNE, that's got to come from their OPEX budget versus there's a separate expenditure budget for a security usually. So I feel like they're kind of two separate things in budget terms too. Well, uh, WebNE itself, it's an open source tool, right? We can provide some general best practices from the beginning, but we cannot guarantee that if you modify your system, you're bulletproof or nobody will be able to bring you down. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same with any open source project. Like take WordPress, for example. Like when you install a WordPress on your machine, like how sure you are in its default security setup, right? The moment you deploy any software into your cloud, you are responsible for the security, especially in your business logic and stuff like that. So cloud provider can take care of big part of uh, those issues, but there is a lot of security enforcement going on within your actual code because with moving to serverless, as I already mentioned, the perimeter of your application is completely, it's, it's no longer a single point of entry. It is now dispersed across different cloud services. So you need to reorganize how you think about security. So you have to integrate a lot more checks in your application, so in code. Right, in your business logic. A lot of that comes with security policies which are enforced by AWS IAM service. It's like user policies, right? Who can access which service? So there is a lot more going on in your actual application now, but there is a lot less going on on the network side, on the operating system side, on the web application firewall. You no longer need to worry about that because that is solved by the cloud provider. So it's kind of, it's a shift. It's a shift in a different direction. I'm not saying that cloud solves all your security problems. Of course it doesn't, but it's a change. And I think it's a positive one. Yeah. And it's risk and reward too. It's not impossible for a cloud provider to get hacked. It's not impossible for like say a VPN to get hacked, but it's a risk and reward system. Are you going to save 60% of your operating costs or are you going to take the off chance that your cloud provider is going to get hacked, right? Sure. I mean, look at all the attacks that happened the past years when like GitHub NPM and everything went down because of some mm-hmm. tier one <laughs> internet provider was, you know, DDoSed. I mean, it's internet, you know, there are yeah. challenges that uh, <laughs> we will never be able to solve. So, uh, 
Yeah, for sure. I would also love to ask you about what other ways Webany is changing the industry. So as Richard asking, one of the questions before is, how do you just switch to, to serverless, right? And when we started with Webany, and even today, there are no tools that can help you start developing and rewriting your business logic. As we said, you need to rewrite your app entirely for serverless. So there are no complete solutions that do that except Webany. Webany gives you the whole setup. It gives infrastructure, boilerplate, like we can figure a lot of services for you. And you can, of course, customize them later, but you get a lot out of the box. You get a framework, you get a set of applications like headless CMS, you get a page builder to build, build your content like, like WordPress, right? Uh, we have an entire file manager to handle your files, image galleries, resize your images and stuff like that. And it's all built in the spirit of serverless to, to work on those AWS uh, cloud services. We, of course, aim at running them on other clouds as well. But at, at this point, we are focused only on uh, AWS. So uh, we make it easier to, to get started with serverless. And we need to be very clear about if you go Google, like serverless framework, right? You will get that one company that is building something they branded as a serverless framework, which is a bad use of a keyword, right? I mean, serverless is so is so broad as a term that branding your product as a serverless framework is, is quite vague. You don't know what you get. But that product in particular is only oriented towards infrastructure, but they don't help you develop your app while Webinit does. Webinit has an entire layer of, of plugins and it's an opinion, opinionated framework, sure, but it does have a, an entire layer and it's pluginable to develop apps, client-side apps and APIs. And we provide an entire CLI, which is also pluginable, so you can customize how things work and the processes that are happening for your project. So there, there is a lot that just, you don't need to worry about that. You just create a Webinar project and you're already ready to start building your product or building your MVP. Yeah, I saw that was a pretty impressive uh, demonstration video with like the what you see, what you get editor there creating pages or whatnot. Was that kind of geared towards folks that don't know how to make front ends or CSS? I mean, I know I'm terrible at CSS, so that looked the Oh, I am too, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is, uh, is yes, there like so. an idea of no code or something like that, where it's just like it's uh, lowering the barrier to entry? To um, so yeah, the, the page builder is actually the first app we built when we learned about serverless because there were no other products that were running on top of serverless. There was nothing to to consult, right? We couldn't mm -hmm. take a product, take it apart and see how it works to learn how to do stuff in serverless environment. So uh, since our background is a web agency developing full stack apps, APIs are mo more or less clear, right? Again, more or less, but front-end stuff and snapshots, uh, server-side rendering or pre-rendering, that's far more challenging than any API right. out there. Yeah. And that's the first thing that we focused on. We just had to figure out how do you build a full stack app so it works kind of like WordPress, right? You have a, an administration app, you log in, you, you click through your editor, and when you refresh your uh, front-end app, you get that content. It sounds very simple, but it's very complex, especially in the serverless environment. So Page Builder okay. was that attempt at understanding how serverless works and how full stack apps work. That's why we started with that. 
into something that can be expanded because everything is pluginable. It can be expanded to become like a no-code content editor. And we are currently working on a on a feature which will connect our headless CMS with the page builder. It's something nobody did before. We have a bunch of headless CMSs out there. Contentful, Strapi, Data CMS. There are like there are hundreds of them. I don't even know the names of all of them. <laughs> But they're just that, they're headless CMSs. And then when you set up your data, you have to use Gatsby or Next.js or some custom solution to pull data and render that and handle snapshots if you're doing it yourself. With Gatsby, mm -hmm. you have to re-render everything on each change. It presents a whole new set of challenges, right? So again, you, you have to glue together pieces. Like this thing is cool for generating static uh, apps, like Jamstack. And then this is a headless CMS of your choice. Cool. Now glue it together. And then you discover 50 new challenges you need to overcome. So with Webinim, what we are currently working on is establishing a connection between your headless CMS, which is running on Webinim and within your administration app, and the page builder. So we are effectively connecting headless plus Gatsby in a way, right? And you will, you will be able to build templates and render data, not leaving your one single system. And we take care of doing incremental snapshots. So your site behaves as if it was built by Gatsby. It will all be static snapshots coming from a CDN. But your data and your designs and everything will be coming from Webinar. So you don't need to piece together five or six tools to make it work. Gotcha. I could see some of the other members on our team uh, that aren't necessarily developers or whatnot uh, doing some of these pages and redesigns themselves uh, instead of doing oh, their no. work in Figma. <laughs> yes, Amy. <Yeah. laughs> we're going we're gonna to ditch uh, the Figma mockups and whatnot. Ooh. And we're going straight into Webinar. All right. Great. Pavel, I think that I maybe just don't really understand this, but could you explain headless CMS? Sure. So every application needs data. And data modeling and coding it yourself is tedious and it's repetitive and it's very technical, right? You, you basically need to be a developer to do that. And headless CMS is a solution which simply provides you with a, a user interface where you, you log in and you can model your data for your API. So let's say you're a bookshop, you can create a model called book and it has a title, an author, a short summary and a price. And it's immediately available via an API. So the consumer of an API, and that's where the word headless comes in. Uh, the consumer reads that data via an API endpoint, meaning via a request. So there is nothing that renders your data and you return back most commonly JSON data structures. It can be anything, it can be XML or whatever, but most commonly it's, it's JSON. So you can develop a mobile app which reads data from your headless CMS, right? So headless, think of headless CMS as a simple API which you built by using a user interface and you define your data models via a friendly, a user-friendly uh, interface. So you don't need to touch code. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it seems like it would be that would make it easier for people to have a easier barrier to entry to these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, and a, a lot of front end developers are comfortable using that because previously, when with the word, when 
there were no headless CMSs, you always need needed to have a backend developer for you know to to implement an, an API endpoint and model data and write database queries which fetch that data for you, uh, expose some kind of filtering, sorting, and that. Now you no longer need that. So if you're a front-end developer, you can pretty much just create an account on any uh, headless CMS, which is SaaS out there, like Contentful or Data or, or Graph CMS or whatever, and immediately start building your data models and all the sorting, filtering, and all that is taken care of uh, automatically for you. So you as a front-end developer would just bring up your Gatsby or Next.js or whatever it is you're using and uh, simply send a request to that API endpoint and get your data in and you know put it together into a nice design. And that's uh, that's why they became so so popular in the recent years. Like everything is headless. And that word just means there is no user user interface to which renders it, right? There is an interface to manage data, but there is no rendering mechanism. You have to deal with that yourself. Right. Is that playing to uh, the GraphQL stuff concept here? That's a piece of the a component of WebMini because I'm actually not too familiar with that other than the fact that I believe your, your front end is doing a lot of the querying now, right? As a, instead of moving a lot of the query parameters and sorting and whatnot that you would do into an API, you have a lot more power on the front end? Well, flexibility? Headless CMS has became popular exactly for uh, Jamstack. I mean, especially because of Jamstack because you can build a, an application or a website in Gatsby or Next.js or any static site generator, and it only communicates with your API during the build process. So it's not like every time you visit a website, it starts bombarding your API with requests. No, mm. it, uh, it's, it's only mm. contacting your API when the website or your app is being built. And that only happens when you initiate the build or your CI, right? So to answer the question, no, you don't bombard your API with the with, with requests all the time, unless you you have a mobile app, which is like insanely popular, then then yes, you you would be of course hitting it hard. But for websites and static apps, it's that's not the case. So is is the GraphQL portion of the WebNE a stack? Like, what is the yeah. significance there? Could it have done uh, been done with the RESTful API? Or what, well, what's, RESTful what's API is where, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> GraphQL is a really is a great step forward for uh, API development. First and foremost, it, it you define a schema, right? And that schema provides a complete documentation for the consumer of that API. So we as developers who develop the API itself no longer need to write documentation about and update it. So the moment the API is deployed, the end consumer can just ask for a hey, what's the structure of the API, right? Mm -hmm. And there are tools that do it for you, like GraphQL Playground and Graphical, and, and there are other open source projects that allow you to open a sandbox. You just point your sandbox to the GraphQL endpoint, and it will pull in the schema definition and provide you with an auto-generated documentation and auto-complete as you write your queries. Uh, there are even tools for like iOS developers a friend of mine is an iOS developer, so I, I uh, suggested it to him, and he never worked with GraphQL. And then he tried the extension in Xcode for uh, GraphQL autocompletion. And as you type code, it autocompletes your query based on the mm. API endpoint. So he no longer needs to, you know, to read the docs and figure out what the parameters are. He don't he doesn't need to ask me, hey, can you 
can you tell me what the parameter is to sort something by price? Like, no, it's there. It's in the autocomplete. Just open the docs, man. Uh -huh. So that part seriously solves maintenance problems and speed of adoption of, of your API because it's all there. You don't need to explain anything. Plus, it reduces the data that travels from the API because you can query very specific fields that you need. Right. And you can query different resources at the same time. In, in one HTTP request, you can query, hey, give me my user data, give me latest blogs, give me related products that were sold last week, right? And you can do that all in one HTTP request because one GraphQL query can contain multiple fields and very specific data, which then the server can process and uh, do it in a very optimal way. Some, some things, of course, are difficult to optimize, but very often you can optimize when, when targeting specific fields and not load data, which was not requested by users. Right. While with the rest, you are most likely yeah. loading, like <laughs> select all from, you know, limit 100. Yeah, and very full bore. Yeah. So, Send a lot of information back and forth. Exactly. Yeah, I can see the appeal there. And then with REST, you also need to manage several endpoints, which in big apps can grow to like hundreds of endpoints. This one is for products. This one is for users. This one is for books, for articles mm -hmm. or whatnot. With GraphQL, the point is to have one endpoint which serves as a source of truth for your entire application. So whenever you are sending an API call, you are sending it to the same GraphQL endpoint and you're just requesting pieces of data that you need. Interesting. And this is also something that you uh, develop within the WebNet UI as well? Is there like a UI component to developing the GraphQL API? No, we just integrated the existing tool. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, because yes. GraphQL okay. as a tool is mature. It's there. It works. works really nice. And sure. there is this uh, GraphQL playground, which we simply integrated to be part of uh, our administration app. So it's really easy. So you don't need to open separate client apps. You just, you know, Click the menu and it opens the playground with all the endpoints we provide, like for main API, for headless CMS, read, manage, whatnot. And you're immediately there. You're, all of your requests are immediately uh, signed with your authentication token, your JWT. It eliminates that process of copy and pasting stuff and authorization. And so that's also one of the new additions in Ebony V5, which speeds up the development and, and iteration especially when building new content models, you immediately may want to see how it will look for the user. You just open the playground and it's all there. You don't need to leave your browser yeah. tab. Hey, you just uh, released version five, right? That was like a month ago or so? It's pretty yeah. big. We already released 5.5. .5, so we are doing uh, a release every two weeks. Uh -huh, we are really trying to make it you know, a, a stable release cycle with uh, sure. fixes, improvements. We communicate with community a lot. So uh, system cadence and all that. Yeah, there are lots things of... coming up then. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots right. of brilliant requests from community, so we are we are collecting all the feedback we can and try to integrate it. You know, oh, maybe, maybe I'll give you some feedback. I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be a Skunkworks project of rendering some Hacker Noon stories with Webinar. Mm -hmm. We would love to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. absolutely. Excellent. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining the podcast. Richard, if we want to get with you, where can we find you? Oh, you can uh, email me at richard at hackernoon.com. Probably the best right there. 
Excellent. I'll, maybe I'll put a link to your Hacker Noon stories as well in the show notes. Oh, sure. And Pavel, can you remind us where can we find you online? Yeah, I'm mostly on Twitter. So uh, Pavel Denisiuk, the same, spelled the same as my name. So um, there and Webinary Community Slack, of course. Amazing. All right. Thank you very much, guys. If you like this episode, don't forget to like it, subscribe it and share it with your friends. You can find us at Hacker Noon on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And until next time, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, stay whole. See you guys next week. <laughs>